Hello. Welcome to the second edition of the Woman by Definition podcast. Uh, this episode, I'll be talking to Megan Murphy. Megan is a Canadian writer, a journalist, and the founder of Feminist Current, a feminist website and podcast. Her writing, speeches, and talks have criticized third wave feminism, male feminists, the sex industry, exploitation of women in mass media, censoring, and gender identity legislation. Based in Vancouver, Murphy has written for CBC News, The Globe, and Mail, The National Post, Rabble.ca, The New Statesman, and Colette, amongst um, many other media outlets. So without further ado, uh, welcome, Megan. Hi. So for the people that don't know you, which are probably quite a lot of people that tune in to my channel, uh, I've introduced you as one of the most famous feminists in Canada. Um, I'd be stretched to think of another, to be fair, but that's my own lacking in knowledge. So why would why would people know you? What is the thing that you are currently most famous for, Megan Murphy? Well... Um, I became pretty well known after I was kicked off of Twitter for saying that men aren't women. Mm -hmm. <laughs> A very controversial statement, of course. Shocking, shocking. Um, I had started, I mean, I've been running Feminist Current, which is Canada's leading feminist website. I don't know if there are any other feminist websites in Canada, to be honest. Um, certainly not. There aren't any websites that have the analysis that uh, we have at Feminist Current, which mm. is, um, I mean, some would call it a radical feminist analysis. I don't feel attached to that label, really, or connected to that label per se. Um, but, you know, I, I oppose, I'm opposed to pornography, I'm opposed to prostitution, I support the Nordic model of law when it comes to prostitution, which is where you criminalize pimps and johns and decriminalize women, uh, and critical of stuff like BDSM, uh, strip clubs, pole dancing, and of course, I am... <laughs> I, I, I don't even want to say critical because it's not that I'm critical. I just don't believe that men can become women or vice versa. I don't think that mm. you can identify your way out of sex, which is probably, I mean, I've always been controversial on the left and in Canada and in the, in the U.S. since I've started doing, since I've been writing and, and doing mm. podcasts and whatnot. But things really blew up over the gender identity issue. So, yeah, so that that idea that um, you can you can change sex through identification or, you know, somehow you can feel like a woman on the inside and that means that uh, there's such a thing as a female penis and that, and that men should be able to compete against women in sport and access women's change rooms and access women's transition houses. I think you, you call them refuges in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, so. Well, I think I need to correct you because you're rather modest there. But your website, your feminist website, uh, is one of the only feminist websites I've ever heard of at all that people reference. I mean, I'm sure there are others, and I, I apologize to anybody that reads or, or is the author of one, but pretty much you're the most global sort of known uh, feminist website, I would say. 
Yeah, we have a global audience. And in fact, we're like, we're based in Canada, but the majority of our audience is from the US and the UK. We have an audience in Canada also, of course, and then Australia and places like that. Mm. But yeah, so, and yeah, we've been going since 2012. And, and I recently, you know, started a YouTube channel so that I could explore ideas and topics outside of feminism. Mm. Um, after, you know, eight years of feminism, you sort of want to stretch your brain a little bit more. <laughs> well, what did, um, with the, the sort of the, the journey, uh, the first I'd heard of Canada, clearly not as a country, but in this topic, in the trans topic, was Bill C-16. And uh, you gave evidence of that. And I'll, I'll ask you what that is in a minute. But that was, that was, until then, I thought I didn't, a, I didn't know that Canada was some crazy uh, left-wing utopia, and I didn't know half the stuff that's going on. And so Bill C-16 really shone a light on that. Can you tell people what that what that was and why it was so important uh, in in Canada? Yeah, so I was one of the only people in Canada to speak out against Bill C-16 when it was just a bill before it had been passed. Um, into legislation and I struggled to speak out about it because no one would let me <laughs> like I at that point I was I was I was doing journalism and I'd published in a lot of a lot of international and national publications that were totally legit you know the National Post mm. um I think the CBC at that point uh New Statesman Al Jazeera um and had been running my website for some time. So this was 2016. And Bill 16, C16 came along, which was going to in, include gender identity and gender expression in the human rights code and the criminal code. Um, and of course, as it always is, gender identity was defined in this incredibly vague way that, you mm -hmm. know, couldn't possibly describe anything specific. And of course, my concerns were that gender identity erases sex. You can't have sex and gender identity. You can't say that a woman is a female, but also a woman is nothing at all, or potentially a man, or whatever anyone says it is. You know, you can't you can't have women's rights, of course. And I mean, I'm sure yeah. you're repeating a million things that you've said to your audience already because we share these views, obviously, of reality. <laughs> I, I just think it... Canada is really important because it's it's where this country could be if we don't well if we don't all die with this pandemic, um, but also it, it's where we could be if we don't really listen up to to what's happened and learn lessons from from Canada. Yeah. So it it basically started criminalizing and compelling speech. Is that right? Well, that was the fear. I mean, it's, you know, so Jordan Peterson, who was the, essentially the other person who is well known for speaking out against Bill 16. And, and that's why Jordan Peterson blew up is because he challenged Bill 16. Interestingly, you know, uh, he didn't even say that much. He was concerned about compelled speech. He didn't want to be forced to use students pronouns like they, yeah. them, zir, z, whatever. But he did tell people to tidy their room, so you know that is. Yeah, I mean, he he should be famous for that. I mean, what a <laughs> what a genius idea. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I do think that I don't want to sound like I'm bitter or whatever, but it is to me. It's so I'm totally changing the topic just for a moment. I promise I'll come back to what mm -hmm. you're asking. But like, it is very revealing who has blown up and, and gained accolades and who's been cheered for and who's profited from, you know, saying barely anything at all about this gender identity issue. Um, and most of those people are men. And the women who've spoken out about this <clears throat> have been blacklisted, threatened, fired, ostracized. You know, I've been banned from Twitter permanently. And, you know, I think maybe reg regular people, people who aren't, you know, independent writers and journalists who aren't mm -hmm. working for themselves. You know, I don't work for anyone else. I work for myself. I'm independent. So I'm heavily reliant on social media. It's literally the own, only way I can share my work, um, that I can be in contact with mm -hmm. people. You know, I'm constantly trying to contact people for interviews and it's incredibly difficult when you're not on Twitter. Um, but, you know, most of us have been punished for this. And then, you know, men like Jordan Peterson have become, you know, he might even, he's probably like a millionaire at this point. Like, I think he was making like close to a hundred thousand dollars a month on his Patreon. <laughs> he was, that was just one revenue stream. Yeah. But I've said this as well, that even if, and I don't call myself a feminist anymore, but even if you, you don't call yourself a feminist, you cannot fail even in within this movement. You cannot fail to see that men do get listened to, you know, twice as much as women. We may as well be in Saudi Arabia, you know, at least they're honest about the fact that they don't listen to what women say. But yeah, I've, I've, it's um, it's quite striking, isn't it? And you you want to kind of think that if if we're uh, we're agreeing about this stuff, that maybe this will be the one place where women talking about women's rights might actually get the the uh, louder voice, but. Absolutely not. I know. I mean, the the main issue, there's, of course, a number of issues with with gender identity ideology and legislation. But the primary issue is that, you know, it destroys women's rights and women's spaces. Um, and of course, it's it's transing all these young young girls or young women and lesbians now. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, men like Ricky Gervais has said, uh, barely anything about this. He sort of made a couple jokes about how ridiculous trans activism is and was cheered on like he was being incredibly brave. And this was just this year. And meanwhile, you know, women have been talking about this and for years and years and years. So I guess, I mean, where, where I came to this from was on when I was trying to challenge Bill C-16 and trying to talk about my concerns in a very logical, polite way. You know, at that point, I was much less sarcastic in my work than I am now. <laughs> and I'm really, you know, I'm pitching legit publications. So obviously, I'm outlining my views in a pretty conservative way. Um, mm. I, I wasn't saying anything offensive towards towards trans identified people at all. And no one would publish me, not people who published me many times on other issues, on pornography, on women's rights, on prostitution, on sexual assault, on sex robots, on BDSM, you know, all sorts of things. And nobody would let yeah. me do it. And finally, some one of the more local news publications, the National Observer said, fine, fine, you can publish this article, but we're not gonna pay you. And I was like, 
okay, fine. I mean, this is my job at this point. And I've been paid always for, you know, I've been paid for the other articles I, I'd written for them, so on and so forth. But I just wanted to get it out there. It's one thing, I mean, I can write about it on my website, which has been amazing. I mean, thank God I had that site because where else would I have put all these pictures? Yeah, right. There's nowhere to put them, right? Um, but that reaches a specific audience and generally an audience who is a little bit radical, who, um, who already has a background in, in feminism. Um, you know, I'm trying to reach the general public who has no clue that this even is going on, that this bill is going to be passed, what it means. You know, most people in Canada at the time, and maybe some people are starting to get it just now, but barely yeah. thought, you know, oh, this is nice. It's like gay rights. Like we should accept people. Like, don't discriminate against people, right? They didn't understand that this these kinds of laws have really serious implications and that yeah. it's not just about being nice and, and accepting and, and open-minded, which Canadians really like to be. Yeah. So do you remember when you realized that you couldn't talk about this? I mean, was it, was it when you were trying to pitch the... Was there a defining moment where you where you sort of felt the cold chill of censorship? Well, there was that incident. And then there was also, at that time, I had been working for um, rabble.ca, which is a Canadian progressive news, online news magazine. Um, wow. I'd been working with them for a long time. I'd been publishing my work there. My podcasts were all cross-posted there. Um, and I... Um, had been working part-time as an editor for the site. And again, you know, I'd always been controversial. Like I've always been on the left. I've mo I was mostly at that point writing for, you know, progressive or lefty mm. publications, sometimes sort of mainstream, but they always like the liberally mainstream kind of spots pretty much. Um, and I tried to, I wrote, I wrote an article because Planned Parenthood had published a couple tweets that were ridiculous, <laughs> like one of which referred to pregnant women as pregnant people, um, and another that referred to women as menstruators. Nice. So, <laughs> so I found that pretty offensive. <laughs> it's so um, weird how they did it. Anyway, yeah, carry on. Yeah, so... Um, so I wrote an article saying, you know, we're not, we're not menstruators, we're women. And the only people who can get pregnant are women. And, yeah. you know, this language is offensive and dehumanizing and ridiculous and completely unnecessary. I mean, why, why do you need to neutralize reality? Like to comfort, I, I, I suppose it was to comfort the feelings of women who identify as trans men and therefore insist that men can become pregnant or that men can menstruate but yeah of course that's not true um and if you want to identify as a trans man in your own personal life then knock yourself out but you can't insist the entire world alter reality because <laughs> of your preferences or desires or yeah. mental illness or whatever it is um so i wrote that article I published it on Rabble, it went up and then was taken down the next day. So it was up for like okay. maybe seven or nine hours and then 
another editor took it down and nobody told me about it. And these people are people that I was, you know, friendly with, right. You know, like we'd been out for drinks lots of time. It wasn't just like an, just a professional relationship and I'm some rando writer trying to force them into, I don't know, being controversial or something. Although I, I had, they had been getting grief about me for a long time. <laughs> like people had been working to get me fired, the sex trade lobby and people like that. But okay. uh, um, nice so person, people. Oh yeah, the the highly moral. Mm. Um, so they took it down. They didn't even tell me. No one contacted me. You know, none of these editors contacted me and said, "Hey, Megan, like we're taking down your article because blah." I had to email them maybe like three times to be like, "Hello, like what's going on? Why is my article not there?" And then finally someone else responded to me, not the, edit the editor who'd made the decision to take it down and said, you know, we took it down because of transphobic language. And I was like, what's the transphobic language? And of course it's, you know, nobody can respond to that. So they just kind of double down and talk about inclusivity and, you know, it's offensive to like trans men or so on and so forth. And um, at that point, I quit. Um, and prior to that, as I said, a, a whole bunch of leftists in Canada had been trying to get me fired and pressuring my boss and, and the other editors and, you know, putting them in really compromised positions and pulling their work from the site. There's a massive petition to have me fired started by primarily people in the sex trade lobby saying that I was like, Horphobic, and and they accused me of transphobia at that time too for writing an article about Laverne Cox, and um, they called me a white supremacist for no reason at all. There's never any evidence for the white supremacy accusation. They just always throw that in. They huck it in with all the the horphobia and the transphobia and the slut shaming and the sex shaming and the whatever else. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, white supremacy. I mean, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? I don't know. I don't, but they they go hand in hand, don't they? And they escalate. And obviously, being accused of racism or white supremacy is is um, well, it's not really something you can defend because how can you say uh, that you're not racist once once somebody calls you that? There is pretty much no defense, even if you've never ever said anything that even passes for a comment on race, let alone racism. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think, well, it seems to me that white supremacy and racism, like if you accuse someone of racism or white supremacy, that's like the worst thing that you can be. Mm. Um, I mean, it's sort of like, and yeah, it's for whatever reason really hard to argue with that i mean it, they respond in the same way that they do when if somebody accuses you of transphobia and you say in what way am i you know expressing hate towards trans identified people or phobic of trans identified people because you want to have a conversation about it at least or call them on their shit and uh they can never really respond um no. it's just like well you are and it's like okay I guess I'm well also any anything these days is transphobic isn't it I think that's where we are that anything at all that talks about women at all is is now transphobic so bill 16 came along 
uh, you are beginning to get censored. Um, and then Twitter is the, is the big thing, isn't it? They censored you and then you tried to take legal action about their terms and conditions. Is that right? Yeah. So um, in their own, in their own, um, what is it called? In their own contract, essentially, that you enter into when you join Twitter, uh, Twitter commits to giving you 30 days notice, giving all users 30 days notice if they're going to change the Twitter rules um, mm. and that they won't apply the rules retroactively. And, you know, they'd also advertise the platform under oath um, and many in many other contexts as a platform for free speech. And they had mm. committed to not punishing people for political reasons. So they claimed that they weren't politically biased and that they weren't going to ban people for their political opinions. Um, so nonetheless, they did ban me for my political opinions. Mm. They're not even opinions. I mean, the whole thing is insane because all I was doing was stating facts. I wasn't even offering my opinion about anything or anything. Yeah. And wasn't your comment about the lovely um, Jonathan Unique? Well, what finally got me banned, so I was I was locked out and shut down and made to delete a, a tweet saying men aren't women and saying what's the difference between a man and a trans woman. Um, and then, yeah, I posted um, some information about Jonathan Yaniv, who, you know, I, you probably talked about him on your channel, so your audience... Probably I probably knows. have some time ago, but it, he basically is a predatory possibly a paedophile, spends time in little girls' uh, toilets and bathrooms and takes photos of himself in the mirror with girls behind him in, in frame. Yeah, and, you know, has behaved in aggressive and violent ways. You know, he's mm. he was in court very recently for assaulting a journalist. Um, and of course, the, the thing that really made him infamous was his attempt to take a number of local, you know, I live in the Vancouver area, so um, women in the Vancouver area, I live in Vancouver, but estheticians in the Vancouver area, so the suburbs and whatnot, he tried to take a bunch of them to the Human Rights Tribunal, accusing them of um a human rights violation because they declined to give him a brazilian bikini wax on his testicles yeah <laughs> He's a and, he and then but, so well, he, he claimed to be a woman so that was his thing he would yeah. contact these women they would say no sorry we don't offer this service to men and he would say gas but i'm actually a woman like this is transphobia well, the disgusting thing about that story is not that a really odious, um, horrible man uh, who called himself a woman did those things to those women. I mean, that's that's awful. Uh, but the fact that anybody took him serious enough to get into that court, the human rights court, uh, was just mind blowing. I think that really should have taken Canada into a peak en masse. And it didn't, did it? Um, I mean, it certainly helped, but, and yeah, you're right. And, you know, and the news media were reporting on the story, referring to him as she and her, which I find quite repulsive. But, um, it's nuts. You know, it's not nuts. 
Yeah, I, th I mean, Jonathan Yaniv, I think, did pique a number of people. Not enough. There's still people who sort of like when you bring up, you say, this is what women were worried about. They were, this is what we've been trying to warn about, that if we mm -hmm. accept the concept of gender identity, we have to accept Jonathan Yaniv as a woman. And we can't say, no, you can't come into the girl's change room or washroom and no, I won't touch your genitals because you claim that they're female genitals. Um, and people are just like, oh, well, you know, he's not, that doesn't count. He's not real trans. And it's like, but this is the whole conversation. What's real trans? If all yeah. you have to do is announce I'm a woman and that's enough, which is what trans activists have been pushing for and won in many contexts, then I guess we all, then Jonathan Yaniv is a woman. So what do you, who do you like, uh, is there good trans and bad trans? Like it's okay for one man to do it, but not another man. Like where is this? None of this makes any sense. This is completely irrational and dangerous, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um. So I posted some information about him and was immediately locked out and permanently banned. And then he publicly bragged about having me personally kicked off Twitter. So it sounds as though, I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly how everything went down. Certainly there's trans activists working for Twitter who have a lot of power there because they've managed to get a number of women kicked off yeah. um, for challenging gender identity ideology. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't break any of the Twitter rules. You know, I wasn't harassing someone. I didn't say anything hateful. Certainly I didn't, you know, threaten anyone. And I've been threatened with violence and murder countless times on Twitter and then those people were permanently banned. Um, yeah, but that's not as bad as misgendering. Uh, no, of course really. not. That's not as bad as referring to a predatorial man as no. he, God forbid. No. That, no, that really isn't a, a terrible act of violence. Um, <laughs> so we, the picture in the UK is, is somewhat, um, if we roll back six weeks before we were all too frightened to move around. So we had it in schools, we have a we have an organization called Stonewall. Uh, we have the Pride movement that is everywhere all the time. Um, I don't know how many days are trans days, but they do seem to be an awful lot. In Canada, I know that you have, uh, for children especially, it seems to be a little bit worse um, in that the state will take away children from their parents if their parents don't affirm is that right or is that um i mean i'm not sure that that's the law but there was a recent case where uh, a man and a woman got a divorce they had a child a female child um and they ended up in court because he didn't want the kid to go on hormones and be trans essentially. And she did. And it did impact his custody. And he, you know, the judge essentially determined that he was being, I'm trying to remember the exact language, but essentially was being abusive and not affirming this child's gender identity. So it's a really horrible situation. I just, I feel awful for this man. It just makes me sick. Like he's just, He's just like a regular guy. Like he's just a regular working class guy and he cares about his kid and he's been caught up in all of this and you know his life has been destroyed in so many ways and his child's life has actually mm. been destroyed. You know, she was rushed into hormone therapy by these doctors 
for the case so that they could kind of say, oh, it's too late now. Um, you know, her, so her body is altered forever. She can't go back. I mean, she can she can decide not to get the surgeries that she's on the path to get. But, you know, she was she when, you know, kids are trans, um, when people trans, um, the amount of hormones that they take is is far more than you, you know, for example, like if a, if a man transitions to a woman, the amount of estrogen that he's given is far more than what would be given to any woman, like to a woman who was taking estrogen for menopause yeah. or, or whatever. Um, and so it's really dangerous in, in terms of the fact that it, that is known to cause cancer. But, um, you know, so this kid was given even more hormones than you would normally give testosterone, et cetera, than you would normally give to a girl who was wanting to transition to be a boy um, mm. to wrap the process on purpose. So is it, over here, we have sort of safeguarding procedures and we have different bodies. So I think we're quite lucky that we have the NHS just because um, if the right information gets to the right people in the NHS, that entire thing can just fall apart. All the giving puberty blockers to 11 year old kids, that can just stop like that because we don't rely, you know, we we have a national health service and we have guidelines. So that's a really, that's a positive thing. And also our schools still feed into um, very similar regulation across the board. So for me, uh, the, one of the, the silver linings for the coronavirus is going to be that we will be diverted from this course, I think. I think people are gonna not be interested at all in pronouns and woke and uh, all the things that have led us to this point in this country because we'll all know somebody who's suffered through this virus. You know, whether it's our neighbor or our, our neighbor's granny or whatever it is. Um, so where are you as a country with the coronavirus? Are you on lockdown? Um, are you isolated? What's, what's happening in Canada? Um, we're all social distancing. Um, we're all meant to be isolating. You know, businesses have all closed except for essential services. So right. um, obviously places like the hospitals, the post office, um, the grocery mm. stores are open. The liquor stores are open, thank God. Um, and, uh, I've been stocking up on wine anyway, just in case. I, I don't trust it. Um, we're not, you know, we're not being policed just yet. They did recently implement um, something where they can find businesses who are not following the rules and shut down or, you know, following the rules around having a limited amount of people in the, in the mm. store at a time. Um, and, you know, they can find groups of people, you know, if there was like a, 10 people down at the beach, not two meters apart, they can be fine. They might be able to find, I think, I think technically they can find individuals who aren't following the rules again, you know, like if you were hanging out in a group of three, not two meters apart. But I think that those rules are probably more focused on, on businesses and large groups. Yeah. But yeah, we're all, we're all isolated. I mean, it, things are not as bad in Canada as they are in other places in the States, for example, it's a, a nightmare. I mean, it's awful in the States, but, but that's because, you know, Canada is huge space wise and then has a relatively 
small population. So we're more yeah. spread out and we, there aren't areas that are so densely populated as there are in the States and in the UK, for example. Um, but, you know, it really, I, like I've been sort of okay because I already work at home and I work online. Yeah. So it's not a massive change. And I'm, I feel very grateful actually to have the outlet of the YouTube channel and the, my podcasts and things as I'm always talking to people and interacting people. But I'm also, you know, like alone, I have my dog, you know, like I'm starting to be like, oh, right, like physical affection. Like it feels weird to not like touch another person. Like that, that part is what's going to get to me, you know, like I've been socializing, video chats, like you can go for a walk with somebody and stay two meters apart, but you can't like <laughs> hug them or be near them. And, you know, this is going to go on for months and that's sort of concerning to me. Yeah. What do you think the impact will be on the culture? Do you think Canada will will sort of come out of it a slightly different country or do you not really think about that? Well, I'm I'm I think that what's going to happen obviously is a lot of businesses are going to go under. So my worry is that we'll lose all these independent shops and that what will be left will be Amazon and like Walmart. Um, yeah, that will have an impact. So your government not doing packages and saving, or do you think some just won't survive anyway? Like our government's been really, seemingly, goodness knows how we're going to pay for it, but they've they've been very proactive in helping small businesses. And uh, they are helping, but I think I mean some businesses have already permanently shut. Um, you know, there was like a, a yoga studio that was a, a chain yoga studio that about a week into the, to the lockdown, they just bailed because they were like, we can't survive if we're not open, even for two weeks, we won't make it. So, I mean, yeah, there's, the government is, is, is helping, they're helping individuals, they're giving businesses big breaks, they're giving people breaks on their mortgages mm -hmm. on their rent on their student loan payments on their loan payments business you know like but uh, too too many i mean it's very hard to sustain a business in vancouver anyway vancouver is a city that has like insane rent so it's hard enough to pay your rent and keep your business going never mind having to be shut down for months on end i mean so many businesses just are not going to recover i know it and um, I don't, I mean, what's going to happen after I, I, I don't know, like in terms of politics, obviously right now, no one gives a shit about these, you know, trans arguments, like these trans activists, yeah. like for your pronouns, like nobody considering we're facing a global pandemic pandemic and all these people are dying and people have lost their jobs all over the place, losing their businesses. Mm. People are scared and worried. And we're supposed to buy this idea that misgendering literally kills. Like I think that cut contrast yeah. is suddenly very stark and people are like, no, it doesn't literally kill. This virus literally kills. Yeah. <laughs> like We've slipped down the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, haven't we? We've slipped down the triangle a little bit. And so those luxurious kind of navel gazing um, identities, they're just not, they're not important. But um, I think also I feel weird about talking about having an opposition to it in this climate because that's not important either. 
I mean, both of us clearly, uh, I mean, you've, we met through this particular activism. So I'm not going to discredit the, the fact that you've done proper grown up feminist work for a really, really long time. But <laughs> I just don't feel, I sort of feel like I, you know, I did a woman petition just in response to something. And then a journalist asked about covering it. And I was like, well, I don't really want to cover it. I didn't do it for, you know, a, a story. I just, I think that it's what's really important right now is, is getting through this, trying to maintain some sort of economy. So there's something at the end of it, but um, it's very odd. Yeah, I mean, it does feel sort of pointless to talk about these things right now. I mean, I have I have written a few articles on the situation a little bit. I mean, more I was just talking about people and their selfishness and their whining and being big babies about the whole thing. But um, I also said, you know, like, you know, essentially what we're talking about right now, that it's like, now, you know, because to me, trans activism is the product of a culture with too much and of people with too much privilege. It's like, you yeah. really have nothing to worry about in your life. You've experienced nothing but privilege. You don't, you haven't experienced oppression and marginalization and abuse and violence and harassment. Because if you had, you would not frame these things that are not harassment or violence or abuse in any way at all. You're not suffering in any way at all, except for within the confines of your own mind. Mm. Um, I mean, you, you you wouldn't do that if you had any real concerns. Um, do you think it's also because they've also got no direction? So whilst some of the more fetishy sort of grown men that, that transition or pretend to transition, um, whilst they're doing it for, for one particular purpose, there's other people that I think they've got, they're going nowhere in their lives. They're not striving for a career. They're not saving for a house. They're not like competing in marathons or whatever it is. Um, and I wonder if, if that's, that's an easy direction almost. Um, yeah, I mean, I see it as something that a lot of people do kind of for attention because you know what's happened is a lot of these people who claim to be trans have suddenly become activists or celebrities or like they've gained you know hundreds of thousands of twitter followers and these are irrelevant people who are not intelligent mm -hmm. and don't have anything interesting to say half of them are insane at least half of them um, and you know they're just major narcissists so they just want a platform where people will validate them and pay attention to them and cheer them on and where they mm. can bully other people and silence other people and feel a sense of power. But to me, you know, the kind of person who would want that, I mean, the kind of person who would want to sort of only exist on Twitter and, you know, gains all of their, their confidence and their validation and self-esteem from Twitter likes or Instagram likes because they're posting ridiculous selfies of themselves and makeup in their mm. bathrooms. Like how sad and pathetic, you know, like it's like you're home alone and you just spent hours putting all the makeup on and the stupid outfit so that you can post something on Instagram, like which you had to, you know, take that photo about a hundred times and then edit it and use all these filters. 
and then people like it and that's now you feel good for a moment and validate it you know it, it's really sad but yeah i think you're right like it's like these people don't have any purpose or direction there's no there's no larger sense of the world there's just them and mm. um i think that's really that that would make a, a person depressed um and maybe angry and it certainly wouldn't help them if they're struggling with mental illness right no yeah absolutely so tell me let's talk about you and your journey has a uh, journey i hate i do hate that word i'm so sorry but has uh where you ended up with the your feminism ended up uh in this quagmire of trans activism and sort of fighting against it and getting banned and has it changed your view on feminism at all yeah totally um because i started to see similarities in you know what i was being critical of in terms of trans activism and you know the left more broadly in terms of these mantras and the mantras that were used to bulldoze and to to shut down conversation and to say you know if you question this mantra or if you criticize this mm. mantra you're transphobic or you're just kicked out like you can't be a leftist and not agree with us on all these positions and on all these mantras and i saw that happening also within feminism and i was like oh i can't be critical of this behavior um, and this strategy of, of ostracization and political purity and and shutting down of conversation and silencing and, and bullying in, in many cases uh, in the left and in trans activism and not also see that in feminism and be critical <laughs> of that. Like, and I, I just, yeah, and I was, you know, I was wanting to, all this sort of was happening simultaneously when I was also feeling a bit intellectually trapped and a bit intellectually right. bored. Like I wanted to be having new conversations and I wanted to be questioning my ideas and other people's ideas. And, and you can't, um, there's, I mean, you can, I, I am <laughs> doing it. Yeah, yeah. You are also, but like, you know, there's a lot of circles within feminism where you're supposed to, you're supposed to take this line. And if you don't accept the line, or if you say, or if you even if you ask for evidence, you know, like so, this so and so did this, or so and so's bad. It does, it's not even so and so did this. It's like this person is a bad guy. Like we don't share anything that he writes. We don't share anything from this publication. We won't even read it. He's an asshole. Um, but you can't even say, well, what? Like, well, why? Like, why can't we yeah. read? what this person has to say or have a conversation. What did they actually do? Even if you ask what they did, it's like, oh, you, you need to just believe women. Like that whole believe yeah. women thing took on, <laughs> became much bigger mm. than it should have. And I'm not saying don't, you know, there's very good reasons that believe women exist because there's historically this, well, there's this whole history of people not believing women when they've come forward about rape and abuse. Um, and that still goes on today. Um, yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean that we don't think critically or that we don't question anything and that anything any woman says we accept point blank. I mean, that's incredibly dangerous and stupid. <laughs> like, but do you think, I, I find it quite incredible that those, that anybody that's done this side of the debate and seen trans activism for what it is, 
I find it really incredible if they're still embedded in the same behaviors that perhaps I might have been, I don't know, five years ago. And I recognize, like you did, when you sort of, you think, oh, hang on, did, did, do I do I do that? Um, and you, you see some of the feminist points or people behaving like that. I find it really weird that not everybody sees it. It, I know. it must be a real kind of blinkered cognitive dissonance, like pile of stuff going on. I don't get it, yeah, because I don't know. And when you ask them, they won't really answer you. Like, you know, it's like, well, you're doing the same thing that trans activists are doing. Mm. Um, and it's sort of like, but it's, it's okay when we do it because it's feminism and feminism is right. Yeah. I think that's sort of the common perspective on that when you start hinting at these kinds of things or asking questions about it. Um, you know, why is it okay to shout someone down and silence them? You know, why are we blackballing people? You know, why are we kicking people out because they don't follow, they don't toe the line? Mm. Um, well, that's why and, some men who follow my page think that feminists had this coming, <laughs> had trans activism coming to them. I disagree with that, right. but I can, at, at, in conversations like this, I sort of think, well, Maybe that's what they're talking about. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't have been trying to censor other people and shut other people down. I mean, mm. the main, one of the main things that I feel frustrated about within feminism is the lack of support for free speech. Um, and, you know, when you say we need free speech so that we can speak, um, women need free speech, you know, marginalized groups need free speech. And it's like, no, we don't want free speech because then we're letting these people that we think are horrible speak and they're yeah. dangerous and their words mm -hmm. are violence. And it's like, wait, 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 like, do not hear yourself. Like you're saying the exact same things that people say to us and use against us to silence us and vilify right. us. And in some places criminalize us and justify violence against, against us. And it's like, no, I don't want free speech. I want feminist speech. And it's like, but that that's not how this works. Like you, why do you get to decide? what speech is okay and what's not? Why should they not get to decide then? And how yeah. do we ensure that we keep all the power and why do we want to have all the power? I mean, that's just not healthy, that's toxic, you know? And the whole point of free speech is that everybody gets to have it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I and, agree. And I don't, yeah. I, you know, all feminists are never gonna agree on what's fair speech. So which one of you feminists is deciding what is good speech and what feminist speech is and, you know, what fair speech is, as some as some feminists would call it. Um, I just I completely disagree. I think it's I think it's totally short sighted. If it were to ever be successful, where a feminist got to decide what was hate speech and and what was what was fair speech and what was acceptable, um, I don't think I would agree with that person, and I don't I don't think that that would be any better than you know like I, I think that that's yeah. that's too much power for any one group or, or person to hold and I don't I don't support that I mean there's feminists are too unwilling to hear the other side and I think that feminist arguments would actually be better and would would benefit from having conversations with people who disagree with them people who would be written off as MRAs or conservatives or right-wingers yeah. or anti-feminist or whatever I certainly have be benefited from those conversations and I've been vilified for even having those conversations just for you know talking to somebody or standing next to somebody who's been labeled and 
whatever way we like to to label people and it's insane it's like you want to kick me into feminism like i work really hard like and i I am for a long time well i'm not i mean i don't like (laughs) like (laughs) but you know it's sort of like well i just mean more like you're going around kicking all these women out how are you going to build a movement and then you're going to kick out women you know like me who have been sort of documenting the global feminist movement for many years by interviewing activists and academics and um, politicians and legislators and, you know, authors and writers and journalists and also, you know, like I've been working really hard to support and, and contribute to this movement. And then within a moment I talk to somebody that I'm not supposed to talk to and I'm out like, that seems Does it make you like want to talk very... to those people? Does it Sorry. make you want to talk to those people even more, though? Yeah, I mean, it, because I, it's off-putting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of people their their reaction to being told they're not allowed to say something or talk about something or talk to somebody is sort of like mm, maybe I want to. <laughs> <laughs> but I also, you know, I genuinely enjoy talking to all sorts of people. You know, I I genuinely enjoy talking to you know, libertarians and conservatives and right wingers and <clears throat> whoever. I, I like having conversations with people. I want to understand where people are coming from. And I think that's a good yeah. thing, not a bad thing. Well, I want to see you on Joe Rogan. Uh, or Shapiro. You've been on Shapiro, have you? I was on Shapiro briefly. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I want to go on Joe Rogan too. And they kept telling me they were going to have me on and then they didn't, but they had Zuby on who, you know, I really like Zuby. He's a very nice man. But, I mean, you and I have much more to say about this issue than Zuby does, who just made a joke on Twitter and now is, like, making a ton of money off of it. <laughs> I feel bad yeah. saying that because I, I, I really I don't want to diss him. Like, I do like him. But he he's another example of this Jordan Peterson thing where he made one little joke about how he was, like, breaking weightlifting records because he's actually a woman and totally blew up and then got, you know, he had less Twitter followers than I did when he made that joke and then got hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers and his, you know, obviously. He went to the White House and to Facebook headquarters. Yeah, he and then went on Joe Rogan and it was just like, <laughs> okay, guys, like, well, enjoy they, your I, boys you know, club. I I really, I like Zuby as well. He invited me just after he hit that thing. I went on his, I think you did too, didn't you? Went on his podcast. Yeah, I went on his podcast right after. Yeah. It's not his fault. Like, it's I don't think no. he did it on purpose. It's but just he's also that a black it, guy, and he's also a conservative, and he's also a rapper. Yeah. So there's all that intrigue, and he's done, yeah. you know, all this groundwork, and and but he's done like a body book, and so he's worked really hard. However, fair enough, that fair said, enough. you know, we um, the notoriety came on an issue that women had been talking about for a really, really long time. And none yeah. of those women, as you rightly say, got the sort of promotion or the accolade that that some men who barely said anything, Jonathan Ross being another example, um, who I really like. And I find it interesting with these men, what they choose to comment on. You know, when I these people- know Jonathan Ross. Oh, so Jonathan Ross used to do our sort of Saturday, he was the big, he was the BBC guy like the big entertainer, probably had the biggest salary on the BBC. I really like him. His wife uh, writes screenplays. She did the film Stardust. Okay. And she's done other 
quite um, kick-ass, I think she did as well. So he's a really lovely bloke, but he he broke ranks. Um, and Oh, said, he supported, did he, he spoke out in support of uh, Graham yes. Monaghan? Yes. Oh, okay, so, right. Yeah, and said that Billy Bragg and John Ronson, uh, that they sort of, they got it wrong to attack Graham. And I thought it was a very interesting thing to come out and talk about because there's been so many massive, terrible things that have happened with uh, trans activism and uh, targeting women. And nobody has, <laughs> nobody has spoken out. You sort of, you know, with the kids being transitioned, you might have thought that somebody may have said something before now. It's so odd. But, yeah. Um, I mean, again, I just, yeah, I do. <clears throat> I'm not trying to, again, yeah, I'm not trying to diss Zuby. I really like him. But uh, I just, I, it was, it's just another example. <clears throat> um, yeah. Just like, just like, you know, Ricky Gervais. Just like, I mean, just like most of these men who sort of waited years to say anything. <coughs> excuse me. Um, waited years to say anything until it was sort of, it's more comfortable to say something now because more people are talking about it than they were talking yeah. about it a few years ago. Um, and, you know, all, all of the women who've sort of been erased and, and punished and, and whatnot, and these dudes get to no come very easily just be like, oh yeah, isn't this stupid? And people are like, oh my God, you're amazing. It's so brave, it is stupid. <laughs> and we know that if they've said that and then they come out with something quite guarded, I think we know that they probably think the same as us. And they probably think it's absolutely abhorrent that kids are being transitioned. And they think that anyone with a penis, um, born with a penis is a man and dies a man. And they think that this is all an absolute nonsense. We know that they think that. And so just for them to, to carefully think about when they're gonna say something and what they're gonna say, just makes it all the more remarkable. Uh, I've got a friend who's a comedian and um, he says that if people haven't come out in support of trans, perceived trans rights, which we know to be a nonsense, but in support of trans rights, we know they don't agree with it because it's such a ticket at the moment for uh, sort of cookies that if you agree with it, you've talked about it publicly. So therefore, if you haven't mentioned it, so all the massive comedians that have never uttered anything about it at all, we know they think it's a load of crap. I just wish they'd say it. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're right, because it's so easy for somebody to start using correct pronouns or start using the term cis just to virtue mm. signal that you're on board with that and you know yeah I think that anybody who hasn't you're probably right is that they think it's ridiculous. Isn't it a shame though that you know you in this country in particular we've had such massive news stories we've got uh, Harry Miller who took the Royal College of Policing people felt more comfortable about talking that because they could hide behind the free speech thing and aren't the police ridiculous? They didn't really have to engage in the trans women are not women. They didn't have to say that. They could just talk about free speech, right. which is why people well, engage with that. Yeah, well, and that's, you know, similar. That's what Jordan Peterson did. You know, he never made a critique about gender identity at all. Um, his thing was just around the language and the free speech issue. But that in itself, I just, 
I don't know. I just don't buy it. I don't even think the wokest of woke uh, believe that men can be women. No, I, I, I don't just... either. Which makes it even worse in many ways because that just means mm. that they're liars and I have less respect for that than just being stupid. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're probably right. The deceit, but also that it is currency. I think that's quite frightening just overall that so much work has been done behind the scenes that's created this environment in which it is um, it is career uh, risking to say that that women don't have penises. Um, you risk your career. You risk. I mean, it, it sounds. I guess it can sound silly to some people to say you'll lose friends, um, but that matters. That matters a lot. Like you know, community matters to people. Family matters to people. Friends mm -hmm. matter. Like that's what our lives consist of in in so many ways. And to lose. You know, I've lost friends over this issue, and it, it can be painful. Sometimes I don't care, and I'm like, well, I guess you're an idiot. But, like, <laughs> if it's somebody that you've known for a really long time and they bail on you, like, that can be really upsetting and hurtful. Um, and, yeah, and, you, yeah, you can ruin your entire career. Mm. You know, it's a marker career. for me now. It's my litmus test to whether or not I have any respect for some, anyone whatsoever. Totally. Yeah. Like I wouldn't want, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be friends with somebody who told me that they literally thought that men could be women. I mean, I could have a conversation with them, but I just would not, I wouldn't respect that person enough. No. I would think. I have to say it think. as well. I have to, I really have to, if someone says anything remotely like it, I have to, I have to say it because I think, well, if, if I leave this moment and I haven't said it, then I haven't done what I know to be right, which I would, if someone said something racist in front of me, I'd correct them about that too. So I'm certainly not going to leave in the ether um, some nonsense like a, a woman's brave for transitioning her kid. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't say something every time somebody says something. I think I'm just tired of having these arguments and conversations. But also, <laughs> like, there's very few people who say things like that around me because most people that I'm around probably already know what I think about it. Yeah, um, yeah, right. But, you know, it, I, yeah, I sort of feel like sometimes I'm just going to be, like, amused and be like, okay. Like, I do mm -hmm. remember being outside um, my friend's apartment and we were kind of having a little party on the sidewalk and this this dude came by on his unicycle and started talking to me immediately. I didn't even fucking ask, which says a lot about these people immediately started talking to me about his pronouns and his non-binary identity and they, and they, and um, me and my boyfriend at the time were just like, interesting. <laughs> like, like I, I can't wait until you figure out who you were just lecturing about all. This. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Well, I mean, I did sort of right. ask him some questions. Like I was like, so, but like I was like, but I don't identify as binary, you know. Like I didn't get into some big debate about it with him, but I was like, you know, like I don't really identify as like all masculine and all feminine. So, like, am I they too? Like that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, interesting. Taking off from my unicycle now. Thanks for listening to me <laughs> talk about me. Some stranger on the sidewalk. Well, I think we're just about to have a nice reset where we all realize what's a little bit more important. I hope That's so. why I think 
that's what I think this pandemic will do. It, I think it will, it will be that. Pandemic. I just don't know if it'll be permanent. Like, I'm worried that it'll do that temporarily and then we'll all forget and go back to what we were doing before. But we'll see. Hopefully not. Oh, gosh. Well, I hope you're wrong. <laughs> um, it was really lovely talking to you. Thank you so much, Megan. I uh, love talking to you. Always. Absolutely lovely. A short video of this podcast is available on YouTube at Posey Parker. Don't forget to subscribe to Woman by Definition podcast. See you next time.